Welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast, which talks about all things horrible, as is implied by the title of the podcast, Horrible Things. I am your host, Emma Sexton, and today I'm joined by no one. It's actually just me today, guys. We're doing something a little bit different here. Um, it's, as some of you guys know, I am 18 years old. I'm in college. And this week is absolutely crazy because I am going through my first finals week currently. So I kind of just wanted to do a, a little bit of a shorter episode this week. We will come back with an even longer one next week to make up for that. But um, it's kind of a shorter episode this week just because life is crazy. And the podcast, honestly, is like absolutely everything to me so I didn't want to not put something out there not cover a cool story because honestly also the podcast is just like a break for me to talk about something that I care about and like that I find really interesting so I didn't want to not do anything but at the same time all of you guys I'm sure a lot of you guys are in high school or in college or have been through one of those two at least so you know how crazy it can be sometimes in college when you're prepping for you've got like a million things on your plate so that is why it's just me today guys just a little one-on-one sesh but before we actually like start and get into the case and all that we're going to talk about today I wanted to thank everyone I know that this past week Spotify wrapped came out and my Spotify wrapped first of all I had I literally have listened to my entire playlist even though it's six hours long which is kind of concerning. Like I, I just listen to it on my commute most of, most of the time. But like I love Spotify Wrapped. I'm sure all of you guys love Spotify Wrapped. And it was so amazing going on. Um, they have a Spotify Wrapped for podcasters, so you can like log into your portal, whatever, and you can actually see your statistics for the year in a way, but also just like growth and cool facts. Like I think that it was some crazy number. Like the podcast has been played in 36 countries. And uh, the listening has increased just like tenfold, obviously, since it started. And it's only been like a little over six months. So I just want to like say a big thank you for everyone who sent in pictures of the podcast on their Spotify wrapped and just um, everyone who's been listening so far. It's been a really, really great half a year. And I can only imagine like how much more the podcast is going to grow from there. And even though I believe it's going to continue to grow like where it's at right now, I'm so so thankful like I've been thankful since I was thankful when it was at 40 listens and I'm super thankful now that it's at 4,000 listens and like I just know we're gonna continue to grow from there because we're like me and uh my Noelle and myself are, are working really really hard to just make the podcast the best it can be and actually soon I kind of wanted to announce this at the top just because I feel very very thankful for all of you guys but over um my inner term I'm taking this course called true crime in the media and it's going to give me a lot of extra time to work on podcast stuff because I talked to the professor and he's kind of okay with that like me taking some time during class to focus on the podcast and so I'm going to be doing a four-week series on serial killers in January it should be those four episodes in January that we're going to do a full deep dive into some of 
the most notorious serial killers. And I'm really excited for that because I love doing those cases and just now that I'm going to have the extra time and resources to look into those things and make them the best that they can possibly be. I'm just really, really excited for that. So that's definitely something to look forward to uh, for me and hopefully for you guys. But for today, we are going to be covering a case that I think I first heard about this case maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago. I've been interested in true crime stuff for, oh gosh, let's see, I'm a freshman in college now and I got into true crime, like intensely into true crime my sophomore year of high school. So it's been like four years since I got into it. But when I first heard this case, it honestly was just one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is the type of story that got me into true crime in the first place. Like this type of story is the reason I'm so interested in this stuff because it's just so bizarre, so out there, so crazy. And we are going to be covering um, a murderer today and that killer's name is Mary Bell. And I know some of you guys have probably heard about um, her before because it is such a widely known story, more particularly in the UK over the US. So probably my UK listeners will know about this more than some of us in the United States. But this case, even to this day, is a very um, impactful case in United Kingdom culture. And the main reason that this case is so widely known and so like people still talk about it to this day, even though it happened in 1968, these killings, is because when Mary Bell actually committed her first murders, she was 11 years old, which is kind of insane. My brother right now is 12 years old, and it's just... I don't know. I think a lot of the times when we talk about true crime and murders, it's a lifetime of hatred and disturbing, like obviously a childhood trauma, but then a lifetime of dwelling in that that causes someone to, you know, commit the ultimate crime and murder someone. But this is just so bizarre because you think about the fact that we as a culture generally children are seen as like the most innocent among us. Like everyone wants to protect kids and like make sure that their childhoods are safe and that they're safe because we see them as just these innocent, like untouched by the rest of society, I guess. So then when you see someone so young, I mean, 11 years old, it's just killing people. It just completely like is chilling because something about that image and not to mention that we're all already scared of little girls because of The Shining (laughs) and other movies. So like when you talk about cases like this, it's just so astounding because there's not many like it. I can only think of maybe four other cases that involve child killers. And this is by far, I think, the most widely known of those cases. So without further ado, let's get let's get right into it. I'm going to kind of give you guys this story in the order that we would have seen it play out in like a court, um, just because I think that it's important to talk about the crimes before we talk about the backstory, because they they really do obviously go together. Um, so when Mary Bell was 11 years old, uh, May 25th, 1968, she was actually 10, but it was the day before she turned 11. So we're just going to say she was 11 at that point. But, um, in 1968, she was in the UK and she was actually living in this place called, uh, Scottswood in Scottswood. She followed this four-year-old boy whose name was Martin Brown, uh, to this abandoned house kind of in an area near where some kids would play but it was fairly empty like no one lived there and uh, it was just kind of in in the middle of nowhere 
And when she was only 11 years old, she strangled four-year-old Martin Brown and left him face down on the floor in this house. And this killing, she did completely alone of her own will. She just decided one day that she was going to stalk this little boy, like kind of lure him into this house and strangle him to death. And she did that. Like I said, she was only 11 years old. And then only a few weeks later, in July of 1968, like, like I said, these killings are very, like, this is almost a, a serial killing because these murders happened so close to each other. But um, what ended up happening was that Mary Bell met this girl named Norma Bell. Uh, no relation, just a weird coincidence that they have the same last name. And she met this girl uh, named Norma Bell and they became friends in school. And one of the first things that they decided to do was kind of talk about if about murder, about killing people. And it was very much believed that Mary Bell was kind of the instigator of thinking about these things and of talking about killing people and violence. But Norma Bell kind of just went along with it. And that's a very common theme, like in a lot of duo murders you find that there's one person who's very dominant and like plans most of it and then one person who ends up kind of just sitting back and letting whatever happen. Even if they somewhat participate in it, usually it's less of a involvement in terms of actually premeditating the murder. So this girl, Norma Bell, became friends with Mary and one of the first things they did together after they talked about murder was they broke into this nursery that was in Scottswood, like an old, um, an older nursery and they left like they drew all over the walls and like left notes that said that they had killed people and they talked about um they talked about the first murder because at this point Mary Bell had already told Norma that she had been responsible for killing Martin Brown although it's uncertain if Norma Bell actually believed that she was telling the truth because um, a lot of people said that Mary was kind of known around to be one who would tell tall tales, which is a huge tongue twister, but she would kind of say these things just out loud without any particular reason for saying them. She was a pathological liar, you could say. Um, so they broke into this nursery and they started leaving these notes on the walls and just like around that were saying, we killed Martin Brown. She left a note on the wall that said, I murder so that I may come back. And then there was another note on the wall that said, we did murder Martin Brown. Those are two quotes from the actual like vandalism that they had left on the walls. And these are kind of significant because one, later on when Mary Bell was actually talking to the police officers, the whole, we killed him so we could come back, that was completely just, she just said that so she would seem more crazy, which is kind of wild to think about that at 11 years old, she was already so ready to be that manipulative and like ready to try to fool the cops almost and making her think that this had some other motive than to just kill and then the other note we did murder martin brown is significant because it implies that there was more than just one person responsible for the killing when in actuality um, norma completely denied any responsibility in that particular crime and it's also just disturbing because you think about the fact that these are two one is 11, Mary's 11, and Norma's 13. And you think about these young girls, and even though you think, okay, yeah, they're kids, they don't fully know what they're doing, 
I mean, 11 years old, I don't think any of us were at the peak of our intelligence. But at the same time, like, I feel that even when you're 11 and even when you're 13, you look at a four-year-old and you know that's a child. You know that that's a person who can't fight back. That's a person who is completely at your will, despite the fact that you're also a young person. And it's just very disturbing because in that sense, it's more akin to an, an older say someone in their 30s murdering someone in their early 20s than it is to just two kids getting a fight and killing each other because I mean four years old that's a toddler you know and I think that even when we were 13 we looked at a toddler as a very different person than we are even though it's easy to just look at the surface and say oh kids but there is a very strange power dynamic in that like I'm no psychologist (laughs) but if I was looking at it through that lens, I think that, and I think I'll, we'll talk about this again after I give you more of Mary Bell's backstory, but it was just her way of wanting to feel that she could be in control of someone after not being in control for so much of her life. But we'll talk, we'll get more into that later. Mary and Norma vandalized this nursery in Scottswood. And when the police get there, they see everything, but to be honest, they don't take it as a serious threat whatsoever they kind of just take it as oh these are just kids vandalizing the nursery it doesn't actually have any weight to what they're saying they didn't ever for a second think that the person who vandalized the nursery would be stupid enough to actually confess to the murders at that time like they just really didn't think that was possible but then again in july of 1968 in scottswood july 31st 1968 both norma and mary Um, took this young boy named Brian Howe. He was only three years old, uh, and he was in the same area that Martin Martin Brown was in. And they took him into this area that was, like, more wooded, more not into a house like they had with Martin Brown, but into this more wooded, more secluded area. And they strangled Brian Howe, who, like I said, was only three years old. And then they left his body there. And then a couple days later... This is the part that's like deeply disturbing. Mary Bell, 11 years old. A few days later, I think actually like one day later, she goes back to the body of Brian Howe, which is in this wooded area. And she takes a pair of scissors and she carves an M into his abdomen, M for Mary. And she also scratched his legs like she used the scissors to scratch up his legs. She... um mutilated his genitals and she cut off like big chunks of his hair and then she threw the scissors into the area near where she was like into that wooded area she just left him there and then she left and days after that she it was the same thing as with martin brown she would talk about the fact that oh i killed brian howe oh i killed brian howe norma completely even though she was there and like yes she was witness she witnessed this entire thing happen she also said that she had been telling Mary to stop. But at the same time, like, she was there. She was older than Mary, but she still did nothing when this three-year-old was being strangled. And it's, obviously, that's deeply, deeply disturbing to think about. But eventually, after, basically, it was this returning to the crime scene that Mary Bell did, carving an M into the abdomen and cutting off the hair, the legs, like, the genitals, all this is the reason that they were able to find Mary Bell. They were able to, actually the way that they got to Mary Bell was through um, Norma because they they basically knew right away that once they had Mary as a suspect because they were able to place her at the scene of the crime, 
uh, and keep in mind this is 1968 so it's not like they can just you know <laughs> easily collect dna evidence and all that but um they go to norma because they knew that they were good friends and actually norma in the end is the one who confesses to what had happened with brian howe and is the reason that they're able to bring mary bell in to be questioned and when they question mary bell she at first is like she's just full of this complete like macho-ness and she's talking about how she's gonna like get she's gonna get out of there scot-free and like nothing's gonna happen to her at and keep in mind at 11 years old the pol- the police officer who was uh questioning her or he was sitting in on the questioning he talked about the fact that he was disturbed by how manipulative she was at only 11 years old and so in december of 1968 december 17th in newcastle norma bell she was actually completely pardoned of anything that had happened like she didn't get in trouble whatsoever she's acquitted of the crimes that had happened because of the fact that one she had been the reason they were able to convict mary bell and she was the reason they were able to actually get something solid on her and she also had said that she hadn't been actually hands-on in the killing she had been telling mary to stop and also the fact that she was only 13 years old. All of those were reasons that she was eventually acquitted. Okay, let me give some background right here. Okay, so in the UK, uh, there's this thing called Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is the most British thing I can imagine in terms of a punishment. And Her Majesty's Pleasure just means that basically when someone is convicted with a sentencing of Her Majesty's Pleasure, it means that it's basically up to the government how long you're going to be in there. Like you could be in there for life. It's up to the to the royalty, up to the crown. You could be in there for life or you could be in there for five months, you know? And it also saying it's at her majesty's pleasure means that a person isn't necessarily just confined to prison. They could also be sent to a mental institution. So when Mary Bell was convicted, she was convicted of manslaughter because there's also this thing uh, in the UK, and I believe we also have this in the US, but it's called diminished responsibility. We have it in different words, but it basically means that because she was a kid and was most likely, from all the interviews they did, they suspected that she had some type of psychopathy um, and that she was a psychopath, like absolutely diagnosable psychopath that they convicted her of manslaughter instead of murder. Diminished responsibility is the reason that they were able to bring it down from murder to manslaughter. And then her sentencing was at Her Majesty's pleasure. So she was obviously very dangerous. I mean, judges on her case said that she was a, a risk to other children. She couldn't just be out and about, obviously, because she was a murderer. And so they sent her to a mental hospital, basically, um, called the Red Bank Secure Unit, and it was in Lancashire. I probably said that so wrong. I'm very sorry, UK listeners. But um, she was in a mental hospital, basically, and in and out of different group homes and prisons for 12 years after she was initially sentenced. And she, like I said, she was 11 years old when she first went behind bars. That is crazy. I mean, when you think about the fact that, like, basically from the time that you're, like, eight to the time you're 17, maybe, that's, like, your main developmental stage, you know? And obviously something was already wrong before they got to that point because not many 11-year-olds consider murdering another person. But despite the fact that something was clearly already wrong, it's crazy to think about the fact that she spent her 
complete like all of her developing years in prison uh not that it wasn't deserved i definitely think that something had to be done because even though it's easy to feel bad for her because she was 11 years old and you'll definitely have to consider her childhood trauma in the end of the day like the four-year-old and three-year-old that she killed had families and had siblings and parents and just because she had a traumatic childhood and she had a mental problem didn't make the consequences of her action any less difficult for the families of those toddlers it's just it's a hard situation for everyone involved 100 percent. but eventually when she was 23 years old she was mary bell was released from um this prison um called the Ascombe grange prison and she was basically allowed by the courts they were like okay we will let you have like your own life and we'll let we'll give you a new name and we will like we'll just let you we'll let you live your life we'll give you anonymity which is basically the best gift that she could get because at when that case had happened it was reported in tons of newspapers and some of the articles i was reading like if you go on the new york times there's literally a newspaper in the american new york times there is a newspaper from the 60s that talks about this case like front page news so you have to imagine in the uk it's even big it's an even bigger deal because this is just such a disturbing story i mean an 11 year old serial killer is not something that you usually consider or think could happen so this story is huge in the uk and obviously everyone knows about mary bell and so she is granted anonymity when she comes out of prison at 23 years old and after she finishes her sentence basically she goes through a rough patch when she's coming out of prison because like we were talking about she'd spent all of her developmental years in prison she didn't know how to be a regular person you know like her trans that i there's um articles that talk about the fact that the night before she was supposed to leave prison she was talking about how she didn't want to because she felt safe in her cell and um she just didn't feel comfortable rejoining society as she once had been in it i think that that's a very valid fear to be honest because i mean you have to think about the fact that she wasn't just coming into society as any one of us would come into to society but as having the word murderer stamped on her forehead so she comes back into society and um pretty much immediately gets into drugs and alcohol and she's pretty heavily drinking um she and four years after that she's released from prison she gives birth to a little girl and uh, unfortunately the the father of that little girl went to prison for burglary but she was you know living her life there was a big um there was a big issue actually because of the fact that she was a child murderer there was a big issue in the courts about whether or not she should be allowed to keep and raise her child but in the end they decided that she should be allowed to have her kid so they were fine for a while basically like everything was going fine in 1984 she had her kid and everything was you know fine whatever and then this one author uh Gita Serini, I hope I am pronouncing that right. She wrote this biography called Cries Unheard, the Story of Mary Bell. And basically it was this biography that talked about like her whole life and all of and it talked about like had in-depth interviews about the sexual abuse that she went through. And I just want to go through kind of the things that the book actually talked about because there are some 
pretty deeply disturbing things in there and I just think it's kind of it's very relevant to the case Mary Bell's mom her name was Betty Bell uh she was an she was a prostitute and Mary's father was not present in the home very much they believed that her father was this guy um named Billy Bell because they his wife he was married to Betty but again, they could never be 100% certain that he was her actual father. And he was arrested several times, like her husband later in life, for robbery. They were never 100% sure of the origins of Mary's father. But her mother was a prostitute. And they believed that she was never fully happy with having a child. And that when Mary was a kid, there were several times when her mom actually tried to kill her, whether that be. Uh, saying that she'd accidentally eat, eaten sleeping pills or that she had accidentally fallen out of a window. When they actually, there was a witness that said they saw the um, Betty Bell trying to push Mary out of the window. And actually, in the time that she fell from the window, she she damaged her prefrontal cortex. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's the part of your brain that uh, is involved in decision making. And Mary Bell had a damaged prefrontal cortex because of the fact that her mother had pushed her out of a window when she was a child, basically trying to kill her. Like her mom was trying to kill her her entire her entire childhood. And the reason for that is uncertain of whether it was because she a didn't want a child, and you know found her to be a burden, or if it was b because she had she liked the attention that she got from her family members because. There were other times when she would say, oh, yeah, Mary got ran over by a truck, which wasn't true, but she would just say it because she liked the attention that her family members would give her when she said things like when she said that tragic things had happened to her. But probably the most um, probably the most disturbing out of all the things that happened in her childhood was that her in her testimony in this book. Uh, cries unheard mary talked about the fact that from the time she was four years old her mother would allow the men that were seeing her as a prostitute to perform sexual acts with mary and that she was basically being prostituted out by her mother from the time she was four years old to the time she was arrested when she was 11 and uh, obviously sexual abuse as a child is a huge contributing factor to your development as well and so in this book that in these interviews that Mary gave, she talked about the fact that she believed that a lot of the reason why she was so um, devoid of emotion and why she had developed this psychopathy was because of the trauma that she went through when she was a child, because she'd basically been sexually abused since she was four. She'd had multiple attempts made on her life and just obviously her childhood wasn't all sunshine and daisies. So she talked about later in her life after she'd been to prison for 12 years and been re rehabilitated a lot she talked about the fact that she believed her childhood had a serious impact on the way that she lived the rest of her life and she did express regret in some uh interviews but then there are also people like her uh the father of her child who said that, that he was shocked they let her out of prison after he got to know her so it's obviously i don't know her none of us know her probably but it's very um questionable whether or not she actually recovered and felt remorse for her crimes obviously you can never know if someone really feels remorse for their crimes but she in this book that was written said that she did but the reason that this book is significant not only for exposing what had happened in mary bell's childhood was because she had gotten paid 
to give these in-depth interviews about her trauma. However, there are laws that are supposed to, in the United States, it's called the Son of Sam laws, but basically it's a law that prevents someone from making money for profiting off of discussing their crimes. So there's this huge backlash because people are basically saying she's making money off of the fact that she murdered two toddlers. So there's this huge backlash. Everyone starts freaking out. And basically, uh, judges and people in the court system that knew Mary's fake identity and address gave it to reporters. And they, her and her daughter in 1998 were completely hounded by reporters after they found out where she was living, trying to get interviews with her, talk to her, because people were pissed off. Honestly, like, probably rightly so. People were pissed off. And the crazy thing is that before that happened and before these reporters just descended on Mary and her kid, her daughter had no idea about the fact that her mom was living under a pseudonym or about the fact that her mom had murdered two people in the past. She just had no idea. So basically what ended up happening is that Mary and her daughter left the house. They had like these sheets over their head to protect their faces so no one could see what they actually looked like. But uh, in the end, they went to court after that happened, pretty much, they went to court because when her daughter turned 18 years old, it was basically said that they were going to um, release this anonymity, that they weren't going to give them that courtesy anymore. But after this happened and, like, all these reporters descended on them and it was just absolute chaos, um, she she went to court in 2003, so five years after that. She went to court and basically said, I want anonymity for the rest of my life because otherwise I'm not going to be able to live a normal life. And so eventually the high court in Britain gave her that. And that's to this day when someone is granted anonymity, like when someone is protected for life, they sometimes called a Mary Bell order because she was really the first person that had one of these orders that lasted not just past adulthood, but like for her entire rest of her life. And it protected her daughter. And eventually she when she was 51 years old, she had a grandchild and it protected her grandchild also. So just completely like anonymous to this day. No one knows what pseudonyms are going under. No one knows where they live. Obviously, probably somewhere in England, but they are completely anonymous. And Mary Bell is very much still alive and living her life today. She's obviously a lot older. But um, this is kind of an interesting case because it's it's really easy to argue it, I guess, from both sides because on one side you have to say okay she killed a toddler she killed two toddlers like that's a murder you can't just forgive and forget about that and she did serve 12 years but still it's like people have a right to be angry and I don't think she should have gotten paid for giving interviews even though obviously it it was probably difficult for her to talk about childhood traumas at the same time you can't pay someone for a book about the fact they murdered two toddlers because it's just, it, I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me, at least. And I don't think it sat right with anyone, which is why there was such a chaos surrounding her anonymity. At the same time, I understand the fact that I do believe that sometimes someone can be deeply influenced by childhood trauma. And it also sounds like she had brain damage. And so I could see how 12 years of intense mental rehabilitation could really change your perspective and like make you see the wrong in things you've done before. And not that I believe that she should be given a second chance, but I do believe that they let her out. They said, okay, you've served your time. Now you're free. Go do, do good things. 
And I think that if she's just living her life with her daughter, minding her own business, not committing any crimes, then she should be allowed to continue doing that. Especially because when she committed the murders, she was so young and they even, you know, said it was diminished responsibility. She didn't really know what she was doing. So I completely see it from both both perspectives. And that case is just absolutely crazy because it's like 11 years old. When I was 11 years old, I was playing with like Little's Pet Shop and Zuzu Pets. I didn't know what true crime was. Uh, Well, I did, but like, you know, sometimes it really makes you recognize the privileges that you had growing up. Like, I never obviously had to deal with anything close to what she had to deal with when she was a kid. So it's just, yeah, I guess this case is just a tough one because you really can see it from both sides. But at the end of the day, obviously the tragic losses of two toddlers, two little kids who didn't get to live their life because whether you say it's Mary Bell's fault or whether you say it's Betty Bell's, Betty Bell's fault, um, they didn't get to live their lives because someone took that away from them. And that's just obviously the most tragic loss of this story. So on that joyful note... <laughs> going through that case is always a little bit sad because it's just like anytime you mix kids and murder it's not going to be a pleasant experience but on that note I think it's time we transition into my favorite segment of the show hopefully lighten the mood a little bit happy things so it's just me today so I guess I don't really have to give a certain format I don't have to Say it's just from this week or last week. I could just do an in general one, guys. We're switching it up, getting crazy here. But I think that <laughs> I'm not. Gonna, I can't stray too far from form. I think my favorite thing that happened in the last week, and honestly, just like, I okay, I have two, and I will give two because it's just me. <laughs> um, last week by far, I was just floored by the amount of people that just sent me that uh, the podcast was in their Spotify Wrapped, and honestly, just like. Seeing that people actually enjoy the podcast makes it 100% worth it to do it. Sometimes I'm like sitting, editing the podcast at like two in the morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, why do I do this to myself? Like I procrastinate and get stressed out and stuff. But at the end of the day, like I love recording it. I love putting it out and I love that other people love it as much as I do. And it's kind of like my child in a way because I don't know, six months ago, this was just like an idea on a piece of paper and now it's a it's a thing you know what I mean and I hear people talking about the fact that like they really want to be on the podcast and that just makes me happy that like people want to be involved in the stuff that I'm doing and just that people actually care about it and seem to like it is just the best feeling in the world I can only equate it to like I it must be just like when you make really good chocolate chip cookies and people eat them and they're like oh my gosh dude these are delicious it just feels good that people like something you made. And I'm sure musicians out there know that feeling also because it's just like when you put something out there and people support it, that's one thing. But when you put something out there and people take it and like make it their own and give you suggestions on like stuff they want to hear you talk about, that's a whole nother thing. Like hearing people making the podcast their own is like the best thing in the world. So that was my happy thing from last week. And then for this week, um, you guys probably know this already, but I am a huge Harry Styles fan. Literally like a huge Harry Styles fan. I love that man. I stan everything he does. 
And um, on Thursday, his album is coming out. And then Friday, my best friend Emily and I are going to see his show at the Forum in Los Angeles. And it's absolutely insane because, okay, I don't know how this happened, guys. But basically, for Christmas, I asked my parents to get me tickets to Harry Styles' show in, I think it's September. So they got me tickets. They got Emily and I tickets to go to night one. I believe of the show and then for Christmas Emily's parents got her tickets to go to a night two of the show and there's three nights at the forum and one night in San Diego and then like us not really knowing this that our parents had like already bought them and like got them for each other whatever for Christmas I got her and I tickets to go to the San Diego show and she got her and I tickets to go to the fourth night to the third night at the forum and then we're also going to the show on Friday. So we we're talking in the car today and we're like, how did this happen that we're going to see this show five times? And I'm just like really excited for that because I just like I know it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's kind of just a really like weird coincidence that we're seeing Harry Styles five times. And that's kind of crazy. But we've been waiting for two and a half years. So <laughs> I'm very excited about that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are really excited for that because y'all have good music taste. So um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's been my main happy things. I'll be very thankful when finals is over. Um, but that's just, that's more of a relief thing than a happy thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's honestly pretty much it. Like it's been a pretty good week and it's going to be a great winter break. I'm really excited to do that series on serial killers and all that stuff. But uh, I think I'm going to end the episode there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can go find us online at patreon.com slash horrible things you can go to apple Podcasts, leave a rate and review helps other people find us uh but most importantly oh and one more thing that will kill me if i don't mention this we're on social media everywhere at horrible things podcast but most importantly just thank you guys for listening and like i said earlier making the podcast your own it means the world to me thank you for sharing it with people and like letting me know that you like it i guess it's just like very very encouraging and i really really appreciate that from you guys so Thank you so much for all of that. And since it's just me, I think I'm just going to go straight for it, guys. Just remember the most absolutely most important thing in this time. It's the holiday season. So it's important to remember, don't do horrible things.